Jesus, come join us in our journey as we seek your will for this community and this environment. Teach us to love each other as you love us, to give ourselves as you give yourself, that the kingdom of God may be made present to all. Amen. Today's gospel reading shows us that there is a clear difference between what the people of first century Palestine expected in the prophesied Messiah and what they actually received. We see in Jesus' reply to the followers of John a completely different concept of the role of the Messiah. In the gospel lessons of the past two Sundays, Jesus told us to watch for his coming and John told us to expect a righteous judge John told us to expect him to come and to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He further explained metaphorically that the wheat and the chaff would be separated and the chaff would be burned with unquenchable fire. John fully expected the Messiah to come in the power and the glory of Almighty God. He preached this news to those who came to him recognizing his prophetic role in the image of Elijah. After all, there had not been a prophet in Israel for over 400 years. Uh, the last one, the minor prophet Malachi, uh, wrote and preached to the people. And since then, it was zero. <laughs> Nobody. And so now we have John appearing in the desert, coming out of the desert at the Jordan River. And people are flocking to him because this ain't happened in a long time. We got to see what this is all about. And so people are going out to see this, what's happening. They had this expectation. And so he came. He spoke powerfully by the coming of the Lord. And, he would, and all that he was going to do when he arrived. So consequently, when Jesus shows up and John is finally arrested and Jesus' ministry is going on, he hears all these stories about the Messiah. He's going around, he's healing people and the poor are being taken care of and the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing and all these things are going on. And John is in prison, you know, making an evaluation of his ministry and what he preached and he's trying to figure out like, What's up with this? Something is different. Something is not the same as what I had preached. I mean, what is going on? And so he thinks, I got I to check this out. And so what he does is he sends to his disciples and he said, go and ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for somebody else? You know, you're not doing what we expected. I expect you to be judging people and burning the chaff and doing all that like I said. You're not doing that. So he was greatly concerned because had my ministry been in vain? I mean, after all, when we face death, as John was on death row, as we know, and you kind of wonder, like, was my life worth it? Have I done what was God expected of me? I mean, have I done anything at all that was worthwhile? So you begin to evaluate, you know, before you exit stage left or pass on. So we kind of step back and take a look at our lives and ask three questions. Who am I? What have I done? And has it been important? So John was no different than you and I when it came to this thing. We face our mortality. We want to know if our lives have been significant because when it's coming to the end, we kind of wonder about those things. For centuries, the people of Israel have been looking for a Messiah to come, as had been foretold. John, in his mission to prepare the way of the Lord, was baptizing those who were repentant in the waters of the Jordan, below Jericho, the point where Joshua had led the people through into the promised land. So it's like John was again now saying, come into the new land, come in, be baptized, renew your commitment to God by being coming into the promised land, by coming through the Jordan waters. So 
Baptizing had been a kind of a ritual of entrance into the assembly of the Jews for those wishing to become Jewish. They had come through the waters as the Israelites did at the Red Sea and the Jordan River. So it was a kind of symbolic re-entering of the promised land for those of Judaism who had fallen away. And so John was trying to bring those who had fallen away back in so there were a renewal was going on. Actually, the name Joshua or Yeshua, which means Jehovah saves. And so we see that Jesus is living up to his name, saving people. So therefore, John was trying to establish the right relationship between God and his people who had fallen away. The people had been under the domination of many foreign powers, and so their spiritual relationship with God had suffered. They had fallen under the influence of those powers that controlled their lives. At the time of this, was the Roman Empire was in control. And so the Jews, in response to these foreign powers, had formed little groups, okay? They had formed one group called the Pharisees, uh, separate ones they called themselves. They set aside and dedicated themselves to understanding the scripture. They memorized scripture. They knew the scripture. They were what I called the Torah party because they were all about the law and everything. That was their thing. Of course, then there were other groups, those who thought that maybe we should get along. I mean, after all, let's have a kind of laissez-faire attitude about our relationship with the Romans. Let's go along to get along. That was the Sadducees. Those guys were the ones I call the temple party because they were the ones in charge of the temple. The high priest came from that group. The Romans picked the high priest, of course. But, you know, they were content with that. And everything was cool. That's the way they were. They didn't want to upset the apple cart. That's everything go along after all. The Romans are in charge. What else can we do? Another group was known as the Zealots. The Zealots were those who were trying to overthrow the Roman oppressors. And anybody who sided with them, they dealt with them with violence, the zealots, and those folks that went around doing things, stirring up trouble all the time. And finally, there were the poor people of the land who were just trying to survive as best they could. There were the folks, you know, that worked the farms and worked the vineyards and day laborers and people who just trying to, just trying to get by. That's all they were. They were just trying to just get by as best they could. So into this atmosphere now steps this wild-looking man from the desert. The model of Elijah preached that they should repent because one who was coming who will judge what they had done in their lives. He told them, get right with God, you brood of vipers. Straighten up and fly right. Get like a newcomer to Judaism. Come on, straighten up, get ready. So it's little wonder when Jesus appears, okay, in his ministry, he was one of healing and saving and looking out to people and taking care of folks. And so John is perplexed. He said, like, wait a minute, what's going on here, you know? I'm telling the guys to watch out for you brood of vipers and then you come up to you taking care of everybody, being Mr. Nice Guy. So he was confused. And so his whole idea about the role of the Messiah was kind of like, it baffled him. It was not only a problem for John, but for the whole nation because they were looking for the Messiah to come to conquer the Romans. Come on, wipe these guys out and break the yoke of the Romans. So everyone had these expectations, okay, of what was going to happen. And many times we have expectations of what a person is like, you know, kind of based on his voice. You know, if you ever dealt with somebody in, in the business kind of role and, of course, you talk to them on the phone, you know, and all you heard is their voice, you have this kind of concept of what they look like, okay? What's like radio performers? I mean, you hear them on the radio all the time and you don't see them, but, and that's what you have. you got a picture in your mind of what they look like. And then when you meet them, it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's not what I thought, <laughs> okay? And that's the way, but we kind of expect certain things. 
And so that's the way people are. You know, we kind of look for expectations in people. And so we put a kind of a input on all sorts of people and all sorts of subjects. We kind of make assumptions about people and places and things based upon our expectations. So as you read the scripture and the story of God's dealing with people, you should come to expect the unexpected. God does not operate on our, according to our expectations. For example, Abraham and Sarah did not expect to have a child in their old age, like 190. That don't happen, okay? But hey, there's God for you. And Abraham did not expect that God would say, now, okay, go take that kid and sacrifice him for me. He didn't expect that coming either. In fact, he struggled all night long before he got up the next morning and went about the business of doing that. The Hebrews in bondage in Egypt did not expect that their rescuer would be somebody of their own brethren, okay, who was raised in the palace, okay? He was a murderer and the fugitive from justice. And this guy comes back and says, I'm going to rescue you out of Pharaoh's hand. They didn't expect that to happen. And for the same thing that even the same guy who was not even eloquent enough to talk to the Pharaoh, but had to use his brother for his mouthpiece. Samson did not expect that he, with his weakness and his blindness and his helplessness, he would overcome more Philistines at his death than he did during his lifetime. The people of Israel did not expect that their greatest earthly king, David, would come from the small town of Bethlehem. That's like saying from Blythe or from Hepzibah. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to just kind of, you know, equate that out for you. Okay? From Bethlehem. And so that's what people's expectations, okay, kind of, kind of throw us off once in a while. Almighty God shows his great power by working through the weak earthen vessels that we think least expect to have power. Those of us who are chosen also do not expect to be worthy of his call. When he calls you and indicates that he wants to use you, we're kind of saying like, moi? Me? Oh, no. And so we try to back off, okay? In 1935, the mayor of New York City was Fiorello LaGuardia. He went to night court one night in the poorest section of town and took over the bench, gave the judge the night off. An old grandmother was brought in before him accused of stealing a loaf of bread from a store. She explained that her daughter's husband had run off, left her sick daughter with three hungry children. The store owner wanted her punished as an example to others. But LaGuardia did, did the unexpected. He sentenced her to a $10 fine or 10 days in jail. Then he took his hat, threw in a $10 bill, remitted her fine, and fined everybody in the court, okay, 50 cents for living in a city that was so heartless and had little compassion. <laughs> they collected $47.50 and gave it to her. Talk about unexpected, okay? St. Paul reminds us that his power is manifest in our weakness and our powerlessness. When we become weak, then he becomes strong, okay? I mean, you think about the, the, some of the Gideon was the, uh, the weakest clan in, in Manasseh. God chose him to lead the people. When we finally admit that we have no power to do anything, okay, or be anything, then our heart is open for him to move in and work a wonder. A lady had a sick child at home, and she had to run to the pharmacy for some more medicine. When she came out of the store, she realized that she had locked her keys in the car. Had no way to get home and get the medicine to her baby who was left alone at home. She was frantic, and she was running back and forth trying to figure out what she's going to do by getting into the car. She was crying and praying at the same time. A man walked up and asked her what was wrong. She explained that her problem was 
he found a piece of wire, and in seconds, the door, car door was open. She exclaimed that he was an answer to her prayer, and he was a really good man. He looked down sadly and said, she was mistaken. I'm not a good man. I'm a bad one because i just gotten out of jail that morning. She cried out, thank you, Jesus. You sent me a professional. <laughs> God, 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 God does the unexpected. That's what I'm trying to point out here, okay? That's the way he does. When we finally empty ourselves, allow his Holy Spirit to move in, then he can take care of us. You know, like it, like it says in the right one, Eucharistic prayer, you know, that here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to thee. So Advent is our season of preparation. We're getting ready. Ten days from now, we're going to celebrate the incarnation. Okay? So it's time to prepare our hearts to receive the one who comes at Christmas to be our healer and our savior. The actions of our Lord as he goes about his ministry can be side by the, you know, the Greek word sozo, which means to save, okay, or heal, or preserve, or to make whole. We can see in his ministry the works of God as mighty acts. God acts in time and space, and he does things. He acts through Jesus to save and make people whole, and not only the people of the first century of Palestine, but down through the centuries of folks who will open their hearts and accept him as their Lord and Savior, their healer. He does not give the message of John, you know, a long dissertation on who he is or what he's trying to accomplish. He simply states they should report to John what they see and what they hear. Called, be a witness, he says. Tell them the actual deeds and actions of God are like taking place before their eyes. The physically blind are seeing, the physically deaf are hearing, the financially poor are having good news preached to them, and even implies that the spiritually blind, the deaf and the poor are being made whole. And we see this taking place in Isaiah 35. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man shall leap like a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing for joy. Even Jesus, when he goes to his uh, hometown and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening the prison to those who are bound. He laid out his whole job description right there of what he was about. So by showing the message of John what was happening in his ministry, he implied that I am the anointed one, the servant of God who came to save and to make everyone whole with God. So, therefore, John was that messenger that Malachi proclaimed would go before the Lord's anointed and make a straight path or a highway into their hearts. You know, if you've ever been, when I first came to Augusta, I noticed on Atlanta, every time I went through Atlanta, there was some highway project going on up there. I mean, it seemed like forever. Anytime I went through there, probably it's still the same. I haven't been to Atlanta in quite a while. You know, some highway project was going on. They were filling the valleys and raising up hills and doing all kinds of things. Some kind of project was happening. And so in the same way, God is always trying to have a highway project of going into our hearts. Okay? He's trying to make the highway to our hearts open so that he can come in. We're to open our eyes and our ears so we can see what's going on in our lives. Things are moving, of course, and as God moves with his people, we have to be aware of that fact and watch and see how God is moving. Sometimes it thinks that maybe God is not moving. Things are looking bad. I mean, the number of Christians in our country is going down. We see these things going on in the news. But trusting God, what looks bad to us, God is at work some kind of way that we don't even see how he's doing. And when it all happens, then we say like, oh, wow, I didn't see that before. God is at work. Trust me. We see him going. When two or three are gathered together in his name, 
he will be there in the midst of them. In 1983, I was at St. Albans, and there was a group that was formed there called the Prayer and Support Group. Now, this was based on a prayer and praise group that we said that we saw going on down in, in Valdosta. It was a group of Cursiistas, that's folks who have been to Cursillo. They met together, and so they were going through this process of, you know, trying to, you know, emulate that, you know, meet together, pray together, sing together, you know, do little acts of service for God. And so it became a kind of a dedicated time of prayer and fasting, and then things began to happen. Went to a little ceremony, a little thing called process called Life in the Spirit Seminar, and at the end of that, we all got together and we started praying together, have monthly meetings together, pray together, okay, lay hands on people and stuff like that. It was like, awesome is the word I want to use about it, okay, to tell you the truth. That's what it was. And to see that, because we went out, a lot of guys got involved in prison ministry. That's where I got in, involved with prison ministry and things that we saw God doing and a mighty hand of God healing, you know, through prayer and laying on of hands. It was like, wow, that's amazing to see how he's doing that. And so the whole idea is that, like the psalmist says in Psalm 118, you know, it's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes when we see it taking place. So just like the early church did in the Acts of the Apostles, they met in homes, they prayed together, they broke bread together, they healed the sick, they preached the good news. So going out and preaching the good news, evangelizing folks, well, you know, evangelizing, maybe that's not a thing us Episcopalians, but, you know, maybe we ought to get involved with that, okay? And that's what God expects of us, okay? It's time that we did the unexpected. Go out, evangelize, bring the good news to the outcasts, to the poor in spirit, and those in their poverty of spirit are suffering under the yoke and bondage of Satan. We need to prepare ourselves this Advent season. This is all about preparation, Advent is, for the incarnation of our Lord. To receive this Christmas, his power, his light into our hearts, that we can be empowered to go out and do what's unexpected of us. Okay, bring his good news to those who are waiting to hear some really good news that Jesus is alive, he's among us, he saves and heals and redeems us from our sins. Jesus expects us to go and make disciples. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he said, go make disciples, okay? Baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He expects us to do that. That's his expectation of us. That means you've got to be a disciple first. How we be a disciple? Prayer. Daily prayer, daily Bible reading, okay? Self-examination of sin. I call that putting the garbage out at night. You know, looking at day, you know, see, oh, where did I go wrong, okay? Confessing that, okay? Put the garbage out. Then he wants us to go, as we say in Curcio or Kairos, make a friend, be a friend, bring that friend to Christ. That's being a disciple. He expects that. Do the unexpected. These words I have spoken in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.